spend enough time discussing what role adoption plays in our faith or, or let alone dealing with our shame. So here's what I want us to do this morning. Three things. I want us to talk about what is adoption, what adoption is. Second, what adoption is not. And then third, why does adoption matter? Why is it anything that, that we should care about as believers. Uh, so, so to do that this morning, we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you or, or on your phone, pull it up. Uh, we don't have a screen here this morning to, to share the verse. So if you have a Bible with you or, or an app on your phone, pull that up and we can, uh, we, you guys can follow along. We're, we're opening to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. Give you guys a second to define that, to pull that up. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. So it says this, verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So before we get into discussing the doctrine of adoption, I want us to just take this verse by verse to make sure that we're all on the same page with a few key, uh, few key points of this passage. So verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So in the broader context of Galatians, Paul is making the argument throughout the letter that adherence to the law was still prevalent throughout many churches. Former Jews who had converted to Christianity were still stuck in the pattern of observance to the law and weren't embracing the freedom they had in Christ. They were making their faith into a system of merit-based acceptance by God while, that while Jesus died for their sins, they still had to earn their way into God's favor. And ultimately, they were still living as though their primary relationship with God was based on the law, based on their own abilities to please God. One of Paul's goals in, in writing Galatians was to combat that idea that it's up to us and what we do to earn favor with God. Verse 5 says, To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as Sons. So the word redeem here is used in chapter 3 as well. And, and its meaning is to set free by paying a price. To set free by paying a price. See, there were an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And, and if someone purchased a slave, they could decide then either to keep that slave or set them free. It was their choice. The language used here means that Paul is, is referring to adults. That when we were adopted, it is as adult children, not as young children. And, and this is important, and we'll, we'll get back to that later. 
But the truth about what Jesus did for us is that he purchased us, set us free, and he made a way for us to break that cycle of performance to be accepted by God. And this is where we get into adoption. See, we were once outside of God's family, living under the law, living as though there was something that we could do that would earn us a place in God's family. Instead, Jesus made it possible for God to take us into his family, not by anything we did, but by what Jesus did for us. See, there was a time when we weren't a member of God's family trying to earn our keep. Uh, Ephesians 2.3 says that we were all once children of wrath, sons of disobedience. But because of Jesus, we are accepted as sons, as true children. Moving on to verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, See, upon adoption, upon adoption, when we become sons of God, true children of God, we have tapped into certain benefits that we did not have access to before. And we'll look at at, uh, more into those uh, more in depth in in just a minute as well. But let's move on to uh, verse 7. And it says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, Paul says that because of what Jesus did, we experienced a change in our relationship with God. At one point, we were regarded as slaves, as servants, and now we are treated as children. So what does Paul mean by slave or servant? How is that different from a son? We're going to answer those questions again in just a a few minutes here. But first, before we we get into that, let's, let's talk about what is adoption? What is the doctrine of adoption? What does adoption mean when it, when it relates to uh, scripture and, and our faith? Well, the theologian Wayne Grudem, he defines adoption like this. He says, adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. Straightforward, right? Pretty simple. Adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. It, it's, it's pretty much like we're used to adoption here. When a family brings a non-biological child in as one of their own. But what is inherent in the definition of adoption then is that there was once a time we were outside of God's family. And Paul alludes to that in verse 7, which we just read. See, adoption changes our relationship to God, bringing us into his family as one of his own. So then what is adoption not? When we say adoption, what are we not talking about? Uh, there are a couple of theological terms that I, I, I want to clarify as distinct from adoption. The first being regeneration. Regeneration or, or being born again. When we first believe in Jesus, we experience regeneration. We're born again. And then adoption follows that. See, Galatians 3.26 states that we become sons of God through faith leading us to believe that then adoption is something that happens after the initial regeneration. And regeneration, or being born again, is the, is the point at which we become made spiritually alive by God, able to communicate with God through prayer and hear his word with receptive hearts. So regeneration is a big deal, but it's distinct from what we're talking about this morning in adoption. And then the second term I want to clarify is distinct from adoption is justification, Justification. Justification means to be made right with God. 
See, God could have made us right with him. He could have given us justification or forgiveness and, and right legal standing with him without bringing us into his family. He could have done that. So justification and regeneration, they're distinct from adoption. And understanding that adoption is distinct from each of these other aspects of God's work in our lives leads us to a deeper appreciation of, uh, for the privileges that are associated with adoption. Grudem goes on to say about, uh, about adoption that regeneration has to do with our spiritual life within. Justification has to do with our, our legal standing before God's law. But adoption has to do with our relationship with God as our father. Adoption has to do with our relationship with God as our father. So why does adoption matter for us today? Why does it matter today? I'm going to reread Galatians 4, 4 through 7, uh, for those of us who, who don't have a Bible with this morning. And it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So what is clear from this text, from this passage, is that Paul is equating Christian with the son of God, with a son of God, not the son of God, not Jesus, but a Christian with a true son of God. And there is, so there's not a case where if you believe in Jesus, as Savior and Lord, you are not also adopted into his family. That's true about every believer. But what can cause some confusion is in Paul's use of slave or servant in this verse as compared to his uses elsewhere in his letters. See, Paul teaches elsewhere that without Christ's redemption, we were slaves to sin and to this world. Romans 6.20 refers to us as previously slaves to sin. And Galatians 5.1, uh, he urges us to resist submitting again to the yoke of slavery. In both of those cases, Paul is referring uh, to, to being slaves to sin. In other words, before we were born again, we didn't have the ability to honor God in our thoughts, our words, or our actions. We were controlled by sin, and we were unaware of it. But in the passage we're looking at today, Paul isn't addressing slavery to sin so much as he is positions within a household. Paul isn't addressing slavery to sin, but positions within a household. He is using the term slave or servant to reference the status we carry in God's house. He's using this, the, the, the phrase or the, the term slave or servant to reference the status we carry in God's house. So the setting of this, it would be of that of a, a rich estate owner who has many hired servants working to keep up the home. And the best example of this from Scripture I can think of comes from Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story. It's, a, it's about a father who who owns some land and a house and has two sons, and the younger of which decides he's going to disgrace his father and leave home, demanding his share of the inheritance immediately. 
And after some time, after he wastes the inheritance, he decides his only hope is to return home. And as he's on his way back, he's rehearsing his speech to his father. Do you remember this? Do you remember what he says? As he's assuming when he approaches his father, he's going to have to face his father's wrath. He was going to beg his father to accept him back, not in the position of a son, but in the position of a servant in the house. Do you remember this? He says, I'm not worthy to be called a son, but just take me on as a, as a servant. But as we all know, as, as the son starts his speech, when he gets back home, his father wouldn't even let him finish his talk before he prepares a celebration feast because his son has returned. So in this parable, we see the difference in what Paul is talking about in verse 7. The servant doesn't partake in the privileges of sonship, but those who are true children do. And because we've been adopted into God's family, we've been transferred from servant to son in God's house. Our relationship with God changes from slave to master to son to father. So again, Paul isn't addressing our, our previous state as slaves to sin, but he, he's describing the difference of a position within a household, a servant versus a son. So what, what are the differences then between a servant and a son? The theologian Warren Wearsby goes, uh, Wearsby goes through a list of the ways in which we have a different relationship with God as sons as opposed to servants. And here are just a few that, that I found helpful. Uh, we had just mentioned it, uh, but first, the son has a father where the slave has a master. See, no servant calls their master father, but when we trust in Christ... We are then brought into this father-son relationship and can now relate to God as a true father. Verse 6 says, Because you are sons, God sent his spirit, uh, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. As many of you know, the term Abba, it's, it's Aramaic for, uh, or it's an Aramaic term that relates closely to the English use of Papa or Daddy. See, when I come home from work, my girls, uh, they see me and they yell, Daddy, and they drop what they're doing and they, and they run to hug me. Adoption is the reason that we have access to a relationship with God that is intimate and loving. And it speaks to the desire God has to be in relationship with us. Second, the son has the same nature as the father, the servant does not. The son has the same nature as the father. The servant does not. And we know this is true by reading, reading the creation account in Genesis. We are created in the image of God. This is not to say that we are of the same essence of God, but we are the only thing within creation that bears God's image. 2 Peter 1.4 says that as sons of God, we are partakers in the divine nature because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Third, the differences between the servant and the son. Third, the son obeys out of love. The servant obeys out of fear. The son obeys out of love. The servant obeys out of fear. See, this is the proper way in which we should practice our good works. 
the servant living under the law of the master is, and he's living under the law of the master and needs to please the master for acceptance. The servant does good out of fear, whereas the son obeys because he understands the love he has already from the father. Fourth, the difference between servant and son is that the son has the privileges of sonship, whereas the servant does not. And what are those privileges of sonship? Well, first, the son is rich and the servant is poor. But before we go on here, I, I want to address something that uh, some of you may have been thinking uh, all, you know, all morning. Why are we talking about being sons of God and not just children of God? And that's a great question, but Paul was intentional in writing son and not sons and daughters or children. So why is that? Verse 7 says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the answer to that comes at the end of verse 7. If a son, then an heir. If Paul were writing today, uh, there, there's really no question, I guess, in my mind that, that he would have been using the language uh, of, of children or sons and daughters, uh, the inclusive language. But uh, we need to understand the context in which Paul was writing this in order to gain the full meaning of his point. See, in that time, only sons were qualified for the inheritance of the family. If Paul had said sons and daughters, his point would have been lost. It would not have been communicated clearly because everyone understood that it was only sons who received an inheritance. Today, parents leave both sons and daughters' inheritances. That's, it's not an issue for us today, right? But this just wasn't the case back then. And we also know Paul wasn't excluding women from this idea of sonship. As he wrote just before in this passage, uh, in Galatians 3.28, he said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Sons of God is simply a term to point out that through adoption, we receive an inheritance from God, applicable to all people who know Jesus. Sometimes I like to remind myself that as, as, as women read sons of God, me and all the men, we're also reading the, the bride of Christ. And, and that's, that's something that we, as a church, need to, need to understand was written in, in, the, in the context uh, of the first century. It just has nothing to do with exclusivity. It's just, it's just a part of describing a spiritual reality in the best way that Paul knew how. So as sons then, as true children, what are the riches that we inherit? Well, there's a number of things. Ephesians 1.7 tells us that God has made available, available to us the riches of his grace. Philippians 4.19 says that we have access to the riches of his glory. Romans 2.4 says we have access to the riches of his goodness. Romans 11.33, we, we have access to the riches of his wisdom. And all of these riches are found in Christ Jesus, according to Colossians 1.19. And because we are adopted as adult children in the family, we have access to these riches currently. We have access to these riches currently. And then finally, we inherit eternal life. 
eternity in God's house, enjoying him forever. And that leads us to the last point. Ultimately, the son has a future and the servant does not. 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So even though we have access as sons to the riches of God currently, for those of us who have been adopted into God's family, the best is still yet to come. One of our, our favorite shows in the last, uh, last five years or so is, is Parenthood. I believe it was on NBC for like six or seven seasons. Anybody else a Parenthood fan? Anybody else watch Parenthood? It's a great show. I typically don't like those kinds of shows, the dramas, uh, but it, it was wonderful. Um, so I, I'll give you a, a little background on the show, and then, uh, then there's a spoiler. But, you know, it's been out for like 10 years, so um, I don't really know what to tell you there. But... Um, Parenthood is it's a drama that follows the everyday life of an extended family. There's a patriarch and, and a matriarch of the family who have four kids, and then each of those four kids have families of their own. And one of those families, a married couple with one daughter who was probably eight or nine when, uh, when this storyline happened, found themselves in a place to foster a 10 or 11-year-old boy. His name was Victor. He came from a rough home and needed somewhere safe, and they took him in. And during that season of the show, he acted out multiple times, throwing and breaking things when he was frustrated, screaming at his foster parents, rebelling in ways that were causing uh, just generally a lot of issues for his family. And before those issues were getting out of hand, his foster parents had talked about moving towards adopting Victor. But as his rebellion increased, the mom, his foster mom, began to have second thoughts. She didn't know how to take care of him and give him what he needed. She felt like, she, uh, she felt like he was making life worse for their biological daughter and actually brought it up to her husband that she didn't think that she could go through with the adoption. And there's a great scene that I wish I could play for you right now if we, you know, if we were inside or had a screen out here. Um, but I'll, I'll describe it to you. Um, but it's an incredible display of what our adoption into God's family is like. So in this scene, they're, they're in with a judge. Victor's parents, uh, who've decided to go ahead with adopting him. Victor, his sister. And then the entire extended family crowds into the judge's office proving to Victor that no matter what he had done in the past, no matter what he had done, his new family accepts him as he is. And after the judge asks Victor if he'd like to be adopted, he then asks his parents if they're committing to adopting Victor. The judge signs the papers and tells Victor and his family this. He says, Victor, you have been adopted into this family and you now have every legal right as any natural-born child in this family. You now have every legal right as any natural-born child in this family. Victor's face lights up, everybody cheers. But that line, you now have every legal right as any natural-born child in this family, 
That's what adoption does for us. Because of what Christ, the natural born son of the father, has done on our behalf. He made it possible for us to partake in the riches of the father with him. But I also think the storyline from, from parenthood sheds light on how, on, on how adoption plays into our shame as well. And we've talked a lot about shame and grace in the last few weeks. And ultimately, shame fills us with the belief that we don't belong. Shame fills us with the belief that we don't belong. And Victor was doing everything in his power to prove to himself that he didn't belong and he wasn't going to be accepted and he didn't deserve to be loved by his parents. But how did they respond? The same way the father in the parable of the prodigal son responded, who also, that son, he was also doing everything he could to prove that he was unlovable. See, his parents, they proved to their son that he belonged not based on what he did, but based on who he is. And that's the beauty of adoption for us. We don't do anything that would cause God to love us, let alone adopt us as, as true sons or true children of God. Our shame tells us that we don't belong. But by God's grace, through adoption, we have the proof that God loves us for the sake of loving us because we are his. Our shame tells us that we don't belong to God, that we should still be living as servants in God's house, obeying out of fear. Adoption proves that we belong. Adoption is the proof of grace, that we are no longer servants, but sons having access to all the riches of the Father and the ability to relate to God as dad. When we feel as though we aren't accepted by those around us, remember that God calls us true children. He calls us his true children. And when we don't feel uh, like we have the ability to show patience and grace, remember that we have access right now to all the riches, all the richness of God in Christ. When we're struggling with important decisions, how to best help a child or, or a new job opportunity, trust that we have been given access to the rich wisdom of God found in Scripture and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And when we've messed up to the point we feel we can't turn to God, remember that we have a Father in heaven that doesn't see us as a servant to be punished but as a child that needs correction and grace. I think of my girls, that when they find themselves in a challenging situation, they come to us for help because they trust in our goodness. They trust in our love for them. And this is how we should see God, an ever-present help in our time of need. A God who, or a dad, rather, who instead of berating us, picks us up and helps us figure it out. Sometimes that means wiping the dirt off and giving us some encouragement. Sometimes that means a lap to sit in and a hug to comfort. And today, you are a son, a true child in God's house. So let's start living as though, you, as though we have access to God and his riches as an adopted child. 
how often do we forget that we have a good father who is on our side? A dad who, instead of wanting to shame us when we come home, embraces us and celebrates us. What could every day be like if we embraced the reality of adoption? I think of the confidence I could have every day or the grace to not hold on to yesterday's mistakes. See, it's, it's a freeing thing to no longer live as a servant in the house, obeying out of fear, but as a child. Why is that so, indif- why is that so difficult for us to, to embrace sometimes? See, our shame tells us that, that we don't belong, that we're servants and not really a part of the family always on the outside looking in. But adoption reminds us, it proves to us that we have a place at the table, that we have a father who loves us and that we belong to him. As true children, we belong to God and have full access to his riches and the best is still yet to come. I'm gonna gonna close us in prayer and invite the, the worship team up to close us out in, uh, in, in worship today. Uh, would you join me in prayer as we uh, ask God to instill this idea of adoption into our hearts and help us to live by it daily? Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for choosing to adopt us. You could have made us right with you without bringing us into your family, but God, you love us you want to make us whole. You want to, you, want to, you want to take us from servant to son, from servant to true child. And God, I ask that you would help, help us understand today and this week that our shame is lying to us. It tells us that we don't belong. But what you've done by bringing us into your family, by giving us a seat at the table, what you've done is proven to us that we do belong that we have unending grace in you. God, help us to see ourselves as your true children and no longer on the outside looking in. God, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, and your unconditional love for us. It's in your name. Amen.